Earth's mightiest heroes are in great despair. Thanos is attacking and winning, the Avengers are failing, giving it all they have and still falling short. Suddenly, the opposing forces turn their attention to the upper atmosphere. A ball of bright light, a weapon, a meteor. It barrels towards Earth's enemy swiftly and easily destroys their foe. What is it? What is it that is so powerful it can overpower the Avengers' biggest villain? If you haven't watched Avengers Endgame, just stop right now. Hi, I'm Peter Parker. Hey, Peter Parker. Assuming you're still with us, this is Issue Zero, a show about the power of fandom and pop culture. I'm Fred Kennedy, and today we're looking at Captain Marvel. Who is Captain Marvel? Where did she come from? Why should we really care at all? If you're a fan of the comics, then you know that we don't get to see the Captain Marvel we know from the movies until July of 2012, when Kelly Sue DeConnick took over the character and pitched the series as Carol Danvers as Chuck Yeager. Up until that point, Captain Marvel was a dude. Don't don't worry, we'll we'll clear that all up in a bit. Chuck Yeager for anyone who doesn't know, though, was the guy who broke the sound barrier in the X-1 on October 14, 1947. Kelly Sue wanted to take Carol Danvers and emphasize what a trailblazer she was, to find Carol as someone unique and incredible. Focus on that military gusto of going further, faster, and higher than anyone else. It's a great take, and it's refreshing. To be honest, I think it's this version of Captain Marvel that is the truest take on the character. So why is the world suddenly on board, though? Like, what's the big deal with Captain Marvel? Kelly Thompson is an American writer of novels and comic books. She's best known for her Gem in the Holograms comic and the Eisner-nominated Marvel comic Hawkeye. Her other works include A-Force, Captain Marvel, among others. And she says it's fitting that Carol Danvers be the first Marvel superhero movie to be led by a female character in the MCU. It's awesome, especially since I get to be a part of it, selfishly. I love how they sort of set it up so that even though, you know, it's taken way too long for us to get here, she's sort of retroactively the first superhero. Like, that was like out, you know, I mean, yes, we had cap in the war and stuff but like the first like organic out there sort of superhero like that she's sort of the first in a retroactive way I sort of love that um but you know I like anyone I'm sort of salty that it took us this long to get that that said they did a really great job once we got here so maybe it was worth the wait right so how did we get here If the only thing you know about Captain Marvel is from the movies, then let me catch you up real quick. Captain Marvel is the name of several fictional superheroes in comic books. That's right. There's more than one Captain Marvel out there. The guy most people call Shazam is, in fact, the original Captain Marvel. Yes, that kid, Billy Batson, who says Shazam and then transforms into the superpowered juggernaut is the original Captain Marvel. He was published by Fawcett Publications from 1940 to 1953. But there was a legal issue with DC Comics, so publication was ceased. Then, in 1966, a small imprint named MF Enterprises began publishing their own Captain Marvel a year later. 
1967, along comes Marvel Comics. They pressure MF Enterprises into handing over the rights. They threaten a lawsuit, saying there's no way MF can win. After all, Marvel Comics has Marvel in their name. How could you possibly expect to win in court? You can read more about it in Reed Tucker's book, Slugfest, inside the epic 50-year battle between Marvel and DC. Marvel's plan worked, though. For $4,500, Marvel Comics now had the rights to the name Captain Marvel. And thus, in May of 1968, they unleashed Captain Marvel to the masses. Stan Lee had the biggest role in his creation, naming him Marvel. You know, because things aren't already confusing enough. And he wasn't human. He was an alien, a Cree, sent to spy on the humans. According to Don Markstein's Toonpedia, the sales weren't very good. And to be honest, the only significant thing that happened in the original run of Captain Marvel was the introduction of military specialist Carol Danvers. That's right, the Carol Danvers. Recognize the name? You should, because we said it like five minutes ago. But she wasn't powerful yet. She had no superpowers. During those early issues, she'd be caught in the blast radius of an alien explosive device. Marvell managed to save her, of course, but the resulting explosion infused Carol Danvers with some of his powers, which we won't discover until a decade later with the release of Miss Marvel number one in January of 1977. Now, since sales were low, Marvel reinvented Captain Marvel, and more than once. Which is something that happens when a creator or editor has faith that a character will eventually connect with an audience. It wasn't until Jim Starlin got involved in March of 1973 and the release of issue 25 that things really turned around. Readership was up. Fans were loving the stories Jim Starlin was putting on the pages. And as such, Captain Marvel was getting a bit of a cult following. According to comic historian Les Mills, it wasn't just the character but Jim Starlin that the comic audience fell in love with. Captain Marvel became so popular, in fact, that they decided to expand the brand and do something that comic historians like Carol Strickland still say was a really progressive move. They created Miss Marvel. And here's the thing you've got to remember about 1977. The feminist movement was in full swing. It was clear that the demand for equality was not going anywhere. And not just gender issues, a whole myriad of social issues like civil rights and the role of geopolitical superpowers like the Soviets and Americans would have to play on the world. Thousands of soldiers had come back from Vietnam less than five years earlier. And with that came a shift in thinking. Ideas that were entrenched by previous generations were wearing away. Times were a-changing. Honestly, it's a really fascinating time in history. I take the time to watch Ken Burns' Vietnam PBS documentary series, uh, cleverly titled Vietnam, on Netflix. Totally worth the 20 hours. Great sociopolitical examination of that war and the impact it had on society. Uh, Now, Stan Lee and the rest of Marvel wanted to be a part of these positive changes. They wanted to introduce those concepts to a younger audience. Maybe it was just marketing, I don't know. But I'm a true believer, okay? Miss Marvel was central to that. Even the name mattered. The suffix of Miss was strongly associated with the feminist movement. In fact, famed feminist and social activist Gloria Steinem named her magazine Miss just a few years earlier. 
MS, Miss Implied Independence. At a time when it felt like every female character was really just a weaker version of a male counterpart. Like, think, Batgirl, Supergirl. Marvel tried to buck the trend. Carol Danvers would not be Marvel Girl. She would be Miss Marvel, standing on her own accord independently. In the comics, she was constantly fighting for equality. I'm serious. This was 1977. Carol Danvers was more than 40 years ahead of her time. But what about her powers? Remember when I mentioned the initial 1968 run of Captain Marvel when Carol Danvers was caught up in an explosion? Well, it turned out that as a result of that blast, Carol Danvers had absorbed some of the alien, Marvel's genetic material and had become imbued with superpowers. It just took a decade for her to figure it out, of course. The initial issues were written by Jerry Conway, but eventually Chris Claremont took the reins. Remember that name, because to many, myself included, he's really the architect of Carol Danvers, and he'll play a big role in her development as a character. But this was huge, okay? Marvel Comics had made a statement. There was the argument that her costume was a bit derivative of Captain Marvel's if you looked at it, but all in all, they're trying to do great things. It's awesome, at least it was until a few years later in 1980 when David Mickling got a hold of the character. Now, this is when Marvel Comics basically undoes all the positive work they've already done. Like, it's tragic and a still hotly discussed topic. And if you're not familiar with it, well, strap in because it's a doozy. In Avengers 200... From October of 1980, Carol Danvers is abducted to another dimension by a guy named Marcus, who is the son of an old Avengers enemy named Immortus. In this other dimension, he attempts to seduce her, but can't, so he uses a machine to brainwash her and then have his way with her. She winds up pregnant and then returns to Earth. But Marcus comes to drag her back to the other dimension, and the Avengers just let her go, saying, Bah, looks like she's in love to me. Even Captain America lets her go. Now let's stop. Let's think about that for a second. Just let it sink in. A dude brainwashes Miss Marvel, impregnates her, and then drags her back, and her allies go, meh, and then they wave goodbye. It's pretty awful, and there's a really famous essay about it called The Rape of Miss Marvel, written by comic historian Carol A. Strickland. This new turn for Miss Marvel doesn't sit well with many, including the Comics Hall of Famer, Chris Claremont, the guy who fleshed out her origin story that we just mentioned. He put Captain Marvel back on track the following year, though. He was a firm believer in Miss Marvel standing on her own, in being powerful and not being another trope of victimhood. Up until the mid-80s, the conversation surrounding Danvers' character almost always seemed to be about what happened to her rather than about what she did. This changed with Chris Claremont's second run on the character. So Miss Marvel, at this point, becomes a cosmic entity, a super-powered juggernaut that could harness the power of the sun. A goddamn sun! She became... Binary! This happened in Uncanny X-Men 164, and in it, the X-Men want her to join her team, which she declines by saying, "'Returning with you means rejecting my heart's desire.'" But fulfilling that desire means leaving everyone, everything I love. Earth was Carol Danvers' home, but I fear it has no place 
for binary. End scene. Call my agent if you want my voiceover. And simultaneously, she expressed her dream of space exploration. But what about Marvel? What about good old original Captain Marvel? Well, he was about to die. Yep, they were going to kill off the character that bore the company name. And they wanted to do something big. They opted to release the very first Marvel Comics graphic novel ever. And it was simply called The Death of Captain Marvel. It was from Jim Starlin, who pretty much created all of my absolute favorite Marvel stories. See, Captain Marvel had developed cancer after coming in contact with a toxic nerve gas. And the comic deals with Marvel coming to grips with his inevitable death. This was a big deal. I remember needing to have that book in my collection growing up. But what now? Is this when Carol Danvers assumes the mantle of Captain Marvel? No, it's time for a brand new Captain Marvel. In The Amazing Spider-Man Annual 16 of October 1982, we meet Monica Rambeau. You might recognize the name. She's also known as Lieutenant Trouble in the movie Captain Marvel. She's, she's the kid. Okay. Anyways, in this comic, she's an adult who works for the Coast Guard. And in the process of doing her job, she is exposed to interdimensional energies. Classic origin story. Regardless, she gains a bunch of superpowers similar to Captain Marvel's. So similar, in fact, she's dubbed the new Captain Marvel. And she carries the mantle well because she's a very nice lady who is doing her best, fighting bad guys, saving lives, and that's what Marvel would have wanted from anyone using his name. And, dude, Monica Rambeau is a dope-ass character. She joins the Avengers. She was the first black woman in the Avengers. Hell, she even leaves the Avengers, assuming command from Captain America himself. She eventually changes her name to Photon and was involved in the initial Secret Wars event, and then sometime later has a heroic near-death experience... And she is forced to leave the Avengers. But her story doesn't stop there. And I actually feel bad for not focusing on her more. uh, Because she's really awesome. So maybe we're going to come back to her on a future episode. Uh, But when do we see Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel? We know that's something in the movies. But when did she become that in the comics? It was July of 2012. Thanks to Kelly Sue DeConnick selling the character as Carol Danvers meets Chuck Yeager. And I gotta be honest, it's the truest take on the character since the inception in 1977. I really feel like that push to get Carol Danvers assuming the mantle of Captain was everything she was meant to be from the very beginning. It started with Miss, came to Captain, she goes off-world, battles cosmic threats, exploring what it means to be a hero in the galactic sense. That's everything I want from the character. But how does this stack up with the movie? Well, honestly, they just threw it all in the toilet. But that's okay. You can't expect a movie to be a two-hour homage to a character's history. And let's be honest. You might just be here for that, for the movie, and not a history lesson on Captain Marvel. So let's talk about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, shall we? Other than Brie Larson and Captain Marvel, we have Scarlett Johansson, who's been playing Black Widow since 2010, when she made her debut in Iron Man 2. Since then, she's appeared in 10 different movies. She's a badass killing machine who's always portrayed as a master of espionage. And she won't actually even get her movie until 2020, which is just confusing to me. Because Natasha Romanoff has one of the best backstories in all of Marvel. And both creator Kelly Thompson and I 
are kind of surprised that it hasn't been done. But as Kelly explains, it actually makes more sense to have Captain Marvel be the one carrying the flag. I think Captain Marvel always made sense. She makes sense on every level. Like she's she's almost like the too obvious answer to me because when the Avengers started taking off, you're obviously looking for an Avenger. And while I think we should have had a Black Widow movie years ago, um, a Black Widow movie, while it's super cool and I desperately want it, it's not really the same, right? That's a spy movie. That's not a character who can punch the sun. And we really needed to see a female character that could fly and punch the sun and be toe-to-toe in the same ways that Thor and Captain America are, right? So a Black Widow movie, even though it fulfills a very cool thing that I want very much and I'm angry I don't already have, it's a different slot, right? To hear Kelly say that was pretty comforting because I've always felt as a comic books fan that the space stuff has always been relegated as second tier. The real comic fans love the Avengers. And I'm not joking. I once spoke with an editor at Marvel, and he asked me what my ultimate goal in comic book writing was. And I was like, well, to write a Silver Surfer arc. And he laughed and said that I should really aim higher. So when I saw news that Captain Marvel was in production, I was pretty blown away. Even more blown away that she would be playing a role in Endgame. I mean, that's huge. Carol Danvers is a central player as well, not some sideline cheerleader. In the past a female-led movie. The main character's doing pretty good, but then stutters and needs a dude to come along and turn the tide. But that's changing. You don't see that in Wonder Woman, and you definitely won't be seeing that in Captain Marvel. In fact, Endgame will have the exact opposite. If you've seen a lot of Westerns, you know about the cliche of calling in the cavalry when things get really crazy, and Earth's mightiest heroes are on the verge of losing. So Carol Danvers is the cavalry. I think that's pretty rad. She's a freaking powerhouse, man. Like, she's cosmic level strong here. And I don't mean like raw physical strength. I mean she can project cosmic energy. She can survive in space. She can assume a massless photonic form and absorb the energies imposed upon her. Meaning that if she needs to be stronger, she just absorbs energy and expels it. She is a conduit for the energy surrounding her. But from a writer's perspective, I was curious to see what Kelly Thompson's favorite power that Captain Marvel has is. Well, I mean, listen, I'm a a sucker for the super basic that is flight because it's just the coolest thing around. But visually, and especially for film, her sort of going binary thing, oh, it's so cool. Like, when she's all fired up and when she can, like, sort of shoot energy out of her. Uh, I love that. And when their eyes glowing, oh, that's so good. I mean, when you get that turn in the movie, oh, I just got the chills. It was so good seeing her really power up like that and, like, and, and break, break off those chains that have been holding her back. It was such an empowering, cool moment, you know? But as a writer... You're in a position where sometimes you get to give a character a power, change a power, modify them, evolve them. So if you got to give Captain Marvel a new power, what would it be? Man, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'd give her anything because I have, and this is both not a bad thing and I think it's something that holds me back sometimes, which is 
I don't like it when we overpower characters, especially in comics. I think it's less of a problem in movies because that's easier to convey on, like, a huge scale in an action set piece. Like, seeing her go binary and, like, destroy an entire armada, that's great. But, like, in comics, you know, a moment like that, you really got to build up to that for, like, a year because you can't do that in every issue or you're going to have problems with, like, your narrative arc and what you're building. And so, I mean, I tend to feel like we sort of overpower our characters to begin with. So I don't know if I'd give her anything. Carol Danvers is a big deal because she's complicated. She makes mistakes and second guesses herself. And I think that's one of her best qualities because there's nothing worse than a character that never screws up, who's always sure of themselves. Some people say that's the problem with Superman, that he's too perfect. But the only people who'd say that would be someone who's not familiar with the character. Because Superman, just like Carol Danvers, is great because they're always coming to grips with who they are. And what their role in the cosmos and the lives around them actually is. The beginning of Kelly Sue DeConnick's run with Carol Danvers dealt with her learning to accept herself. And that's what made it so great. She gets involved in the Second Civil War. She finds herself forced to stay on Earth when all she wants to do is leave. We've all been there. We make a decision that we think is right. And there's consequences we don't enjoy. And then we second guess what inspired our decision-making process in the future. That's human nature. That's just the way we are. And to put that in a comic about a woman who can take down a battle cruiser with a blast from her hand is what really makes you connect with the character. There is a danger in making a character perfect. When they never screw up, they always do the right thing. That's not Carol Danvers. She makes mistakes, but she never quits. And as Kelly Thompson says, that's one of her best qualities. I have to steal from Kelly Sue DeConnick here because she has a she has a quote that cannot be outdone with this, which is something something to the effect of Captain America gets up because it's the right thing to do, and Carol Danvers gets up because fuck you. <laughs> and I just think that's perfect. You know, it's like it's not that she's not a hero. It's not that she doesn't care. She's deeply heroic, but there is an element of fuck you to that that makes her relatable. I think especially for women, especially in the sort of time we find ourselves in now. But you know, that that fuck you, that'll get that'll get you pretty far on, you know, to power you to to power you through to a moment. As long as there's something underneath that as well, which for Carol, there's a deeply heroic, deeply good center that can power you pretty long, I think. And it can. It does. It has. And it's higher, further, faster. Despite all her powers and the more than 50 years it took for her to get here, Captain Marvel has arrived and it is a big deal. Such a big deal that she's going to play a central role in the MCU in the coming years. It's hard to argue with a multi-billion dollar cinematic investment. Massive thanks to Kelly Thompson for joining us today. She's awesome and has a fine appreciation for pickled beets, which is a good thing. Now, as we do every week, I want to leave you with an Issue Zero recommendation. I am going to suggest you snag a copy of Next Wave, Agents of Hate. I'm pretty sure there's two trades out there. In fact, there are two trades out there because I have them both. Um, There's also a collection of their run during Marvel's Civil War as well, I think. Uh, You know what the best way to find out for sure is? Go to your local comic shop. If you don't know where one is, uh, just go to comicshoplocator.com and do a search. 
I say that because Photon, remember, Monica Rambeau, Captain Marvel, she's a central character in Next Wave Agents of Hate, and it's really good. And I also feel guilty for not focusing on her as a character more. So check that out. Now, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to Issue Zero so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps us spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen to us at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to all the other guests. So if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at Fearless underscore Fred, on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, you can also email me at issue zero at CuriousCast.ca. This show is hosted, written by me, Fred Kennedy, and the amazing Dila Velasquez, our producer. Uh, and sound design and final production is by the very tall Rob Johnson. Uh, see you next time for more Issue Zero.